Let me take a moment and pray for us as we turn our attention to the Scriptures. We're going to hear in just a moment from the book of Philippians. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, thank you for meeting with your people. Every time we gather to worship you on the day that we commemorate your resurrection from the dead, um, we aren't doing this to remember someone who passed away a long time ago and, and who is a, a great example to us. We are, we are here meeting with you, a living Lord, raised from the dead and ready to bless all who put their trust and faith in you. Would you recenter our attention now on all that you will say to us through the Scriptures? We pray through your Holy Spirit. Amen. Life takes strength, but it takes more strength than we have. That's kind of the bad news about life. It takes more strength than you and I have. The good news is that Jesus has more strength than you and I do, and He is willing to share. He is willing to give us the strength that we need. And in the Scripture reading for today, we're going to hear the Apostle Paul speaking about this strength. He's going to talk about an uncertain future that he is facing as he's in prison. He doesn't know if he's going to be released or killed. He's awaiting trial. Will he be found innocent and released to return to ministry and, and go back to Philippi, the, the very church he's writing this letter to? Or will he possibly be found guilty and put to death? He's not sure. So he writes about the strength that he has and needs facing that uncertain future. And he's writing to a church that's preparing for a challenging future. He will say to them, opponents are coming your way. People who claim to be followers of Jesus, but they actually follow a false Jesus. They preach a false gospel about a false Jesus, and they are coming your way, and you will need strength to stand when they arrive in your city. The good news that we're going to hear is that Jesus is the source of strength that Paul needed. He's the source of strength that the Philippians needed in their day. He is the source of the strength that you and I need. Let's listen as we hear from Philippians chapter 1. The scripture reading this morning is from Philippians chapter 1, verses 19 through 30. For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all 
for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you, that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation, and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. This is the word of the Lord. Tricia and I lived for two years in Scotland in a city called Aberdeen. And like most Scottish cities, once a year they have their own Highland Games and uh, men in kilts come out and do fantastic feats of strength. Um, And uh, one of those is called the caber toss. Don't know if you've ever seen this. It it basically involves throwing a telephone pole around. Um, So a a caber is a, a wooden pole between 16 and 20 feet long officially, between 100 and 150 pounds, usually. At this particular uh, day, when Trisha and I attended the Highland Games, uh, they, they had set that date and that competition for that year's world record competition in the caber toss. Other things were going on that day, other events, you know, throwing a heavyweight over a tall bar and lifting a rock bigger than me and um, that kind of stuff. But those were just ordinary competitions. The caper toss on this day was the world record competition for that year. And so they thought they wanted to make it a special challenge because the strongest athletes in the world were going to be there. And so they took this wooden pole and they soaked it in water for several days to make sure it was nice and heavy. Because you know, a 20 foot long wooden pole isn't heavy enough already. And so they soaked it in water and the result was, it was too heavy. It was beyond the strength of even the strongest athletes. And so in theory, these guys are supposed to grab this big pole and and hold it up and then fling it so that it flips over in the air, right? And it lands on one end and then kind of bounces forward. And if you do it right, it goes in a perfectly straight line, like 12 o'clock is what they call that. And you score 12 points. And uh, if you bounce it and it falls to the side, you get fewer points. You know, if it falls toward three o'clock, you get, yeah, nine points. But if it doesn't fall over at all, if it doesn't even stand up straight and falls back toward you, three points, two points, one point zero points. Nobody scored over three that day because this thing had soaked in water so long, it gotten so heavy that it was beyond the strength of even the strongest and most skilled athletes. This is what life is like, isn't it? Life requires more strength than we have. 
Life in this world is hard. It takes more than we are capable of. And that's where we start learning from Jesus this morning. We need a kind of strength that is beyond us. Listen to the kind of strength that verse 20 describes. Here's the Apostle Paul as a follower of Jesus. He's not just sort of blabbing on about himself. Remember, we, we talked about this last week that, that authentic leaders in Christ put their heart on display because they want to show what a, what a heart shaped by Jesus looks like so that people under their leadership, their hearts can be shaped the same way. So here's the Apostle Paul saying, look at what Christ is doing in my life. He says in verse 20, I eagerly expect and hope that I won't be put to shame. What I hope instead is that with full courage, courage, strength, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body even if my future is uncertain, whether by life or by death. I don't know if I'm going to live or die. I don't know if I'm going to be released from this imprisonment or not. I don't know what's ahead of me. I just hope that no matter what it is, I will find courage to face this uncertain future with confidence. There's a kind of strength that's mentioned again a couple of verses later. As the Apostle Paul says, you know, there, there's sort of these two options in front of me. On the one hand, I might be released from imprisonment and I could go back to ministry among churches like yours there in Philippi. And that would be good. On the other hand, I might be killed and I might depart this life and go to be with Christ. And that would be even better. Verse 23 says, right, I am hard pressed between the two. My, desi my desire, if I'm just thinking about myself, is to depart this life and be with Christ. That would be better than sitting in a prison. <laughs> It'd be good to be with Christ. And then verse 24 says, but to remain in the flesh, to, to sort of stay in this bodily life is more necessary on your account. It would be better for you and Philippi if I could be released and come there to shepherd you in following Jesus more. It would be better for you if I stay in prison and I get to write you more letters and shepherd you that way. I need strength to set aside my personal desires and to work hard for the good of other people. Right? Uh, this, this is what Paul is talking about. He's talking about hard work. He says in verse 30, I am engaged in a conflict. You saw that I had it before and you hear that I still have it, that every, everywhere I've gone doing ministry, helping people follow Jesus is hard, hard work. It is a fight. It lands me in prison. It, it gets me in trouble. But something about Jesus is changing me so that I have the strength to set aside my personal desires and to keep doing this hard work for the good of other people. We hear later in verses 27 and 28 why we need this kind of strength that is beyond us. Paul mentions here the opponents who are coming to Philippi, verse 28. Don't be frightened in any way by your opponents. Who are the opponents? Are they non-Christians? No. Paul talks about people who aren't Christians in the book of Philippians, 
And the only thing he has to say about them is, I hope they see Christ. And Paul has something to say about Christians who are motivated by uh, wrong reasons. And he says, the only thing he has to say about those people is, you know what, they're preaching Christ. And uh, if they're stirring up trouble for me, that's okay. I can deal with that. They're preaching Christ. The opponents he's talking about here are people who falsely believe that they are followers of Jesus, who in fact are preaching a Jesus who doesn't exist, a false Jesus. And about those opponents, Paul says, you are going to need a kind of strength to, to stand and resist their teaching. Verse 27 says so. You will need to strive. You will need to stand firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side. Do you hear the challenge, why the strength is beyond us? We need a kind of strength that when the pressure is on, we don't move further apart from one another. We don't divide under pressure. We come together under pressure. That's a strength that is beyond us. Trisha and I have been married a little bit longer than 20 years. I think we're working on year 30 right now. And um, so some of our dishes we've had long enough for me to tell a story that Trisha may wish I weren't about to tell. But here it goes. Some of our dishes are starting to show their age, right? And, And they've developed these cracks in them. And if you're just looking at the plate, the bowl, whatever it is, you might not notice the crack so much. But you put that thing under stress and the crack becomes apparent. You set that dish down on the counter a little too hard and you hear this little clink, a sound that shouldn't be there, right? Oh, that's not one plate setting on the counter. That's two pieces hitting the counter at separate times. You hear this strange noise or you load that thing up with um, leftover Indian food to use a hypothetical delicious example. And you pick it up by one side instead of by, by two sides. And you kind of feel this little that's not supposed to be there. Like one part of the plate is not convinced it wants to come along with the other. The more stress you put that dish under, the more the crack shows. Imagine a kind of strength that does just the opposite. That the harder you slam the dish down, the smaller the crack gets. The more weight you put on it, the more stress you put it under, the stronger it becomes. That's what, that's what happens when Christ is at work in a group of people, right? Opponents are coming your way. You're going to have to stand firm. It's going to take strength. You're going to have to strive. This is going to be hard work, but you're going to be able to do it with one spirit and unity because there's a strength that's beyond us. Do you see how hard this is? It is easy to be courageous and confident when we think we're in control. When the future is uncertain, it's a lot harder. If you think you know the plan, oh, I'm getting out of prison six months from now. Oh, I'm getting out of prison in three weeks. Oh, I'm never going to get out of this prison. I better get down to my letter writing ministry. If you think you know the future, Courage and confidence are easier to come by, but when you don't know the future, when you're not in control, it's really hard. It's really easy to work hard for gain if it's personal gain. If it meets your desires and furthers your interests, it's easy to work hard. 
it's much harder to set your preferences, your desires, your interests aside and do the same kind of hard work because it's good for other people. It's easy to show unity, to come together when there's no pressure. There's no food on the plate. It's just sitting there looking pretty. You don't see the cracks. It's much harder to come together when the stress is on us. We need a kind of strength that is beyond us. We are not called to take the easy way. Paul says that. Verse 29, it has been granted to you for the sake of Christ, not just to believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. You are not called to the easy way. You're called to a hard way, a way that takes more strength than you have. And that strength that we need is rooted in Jesus. I want to talk this morning about a particular kind of strength that comes from and it leads to boasting. Boasting. Now, you and I hear that word and we're like, mm. No, this is the South where people are polite, and polite people don't boast. Polite people don't get up and say, yeah, I'm going to kick your butt when we play that soccer game this afternoon. You're going down. Polite people don't do that. Polite people don't walk into a room and say, I make more money than all of y'all put together. So I don't want to hear your stories about your work. Why don't you listen to mine? Polite people don't act that way. Polite people don't boast. Polite people don't say, well, you know, I was born with a silver spoon in my mouth and um, four hereditary titles, and I don't know how to button my own vest. I have a valet to do that for me. Billy and I were joking about that earlier before the service. I don't know how to put my own, my own, my own microphone. Somebody has to do it for me. Um, boasting like that doesn't sound right. But the Bible is full of calls for us to boast, to boast. Now, the call to boast in this text is a little bit obscured. I'm going to take a moment to put somebody on the spot. Greg Perry, my friend, is here. Greg, did you happen to be on the translation committee that translated the ESV, particularly the book of Philippians? Okay, good. Because <clears throat> you didn't get it right. <laughs> if, if you were on this committee, no. Um, normally our translations are wonderful and very helpful. Here's a place, though, where something gets obscured. Let me read verse 26 for us again. The way it's translated in the ESV, the Apostle Paul is saying, you know, I'm, I'm convinced that I'm going to remain in this life. I'm not going to die. I'm not going to be put to death. I'm convinced I'm going to continue with you all. For your progress and joy in the faith, I want you to, to make progress, to, be, to become stronger in your faith in Jesus. I want you to have more joy because of your faith in Jesus. How is that going to happen? Verse 26 tells us, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Here's the way I would translate that same verse. So that your boasting in Christ Jesus... All right, if you ask the average person, what does it mean to glory in Christ Jesus? They're going to have a hard time figuring out because we don't go around glorying every day. Glory is not much of a verb in contemporary English. Boast is. And normally when this noun occurs in the New Testament, translators translate it as boasting. 
right? So that your boasting in Christ Jesus may abound because of me. I'm just the messenger. What I want is for you to boast in Christ Jesus. You will grow. You will make progress in your faith in Christ if you learn to boast in Christ Jesus more and more. I want your boasting to abound, overflow more and more. Your joy in Christ, if you trust Jesus, your joy in trusting him will grow as you learn to boast in him more and more. If I am able to get out of this prison and come to you again, then that's my goal. I want all of you to get ready to boast. That sounds really strange to us. It doesn't sound polite. But first century Mediterranean cultures were honor-shame cultures. Most of us in the Western world aren't as familiar with that kind of culture. Many Eastern cultures remain honor-shame based. And so uh, your ears would perk up when you hear Paul saying something like, Um, verse 20, I don't want to be ashamed. I want Christ to be honored in my body. Honor, shame. There it is. And so in that culture, to talk about boasting was an everyday thing because everyday life was this competition for honor, competition for who deserves to be the most confident. And that's what boasting is. Here's my definition. I hate it when people use Bible words and don't say what they mean by them. So here's what we mean. When the Bible talks about boasting, it's talking about this. Expressing outwardly, not just having inwardly, but putting it out there for everybody to see and hear. That's how honor-shame cultures work, right? Honor is something done in public. Shaming someone is something done in public. We're not talking about private attitudes. Boasting is expressing a high degree of confidence in someone or something that is exceptional and worthy of honor. Now, Paul was writing to people who were familiar with that concept. Their concept would have been focused on self. I'm going to express a high degree of confidence that I am exceptional. I've been trained by my culture and by everyday life to continually look for opportunities to let everyone know that I am worthy of the honor that I am claiming for myself right now. That's what it meant to boast in the first century Roman world. Philippi in Greece, but it's a Roman colony. Boasting is not wrong, (laughs) but knowing Jesus changes what we boast in. There's a kind of strength that comes to us when we start to say, my confidence is not in me. Yes, I am highly confident. Yes, I have a high degree of confidence, but my confidence is in Christ. He is the exceptional one. He is the one who is worthy of honor, which is why Paul says this crazy thing in verse 20. In verse 20, he says, I don't want to be put to shame. Now, if he was a good citizen of the Roman Empire, he would have then said, instead, I hope that I will be honored in every way. But for Paul, the opposite of himself being put to shame is that Christ would be honored. There's a kind of strength that comes from saying, I don't have to worry 
about whether the circumstances of life are making me look bad. Are they making Jesus look good? I can face these hard circumstances, these circumstances that other people might say were shameful. I can face them with a new kind of strength because my boast is in Christ. I'm not the one worthy of honor. He is. Let's take a moment to see how that actually gives us strength. Let's take this scenario. If the future is uncertain, what is our boast? Well, we could say, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm very confident as I face this uncertain future. I'm very confident because I'm wise enough to figure out what comes next. I'll just, I'll just look at the trends and I will make a prediction and I will be prepared and I will get ready. I'm confident. See, I'm exceptional that way. Most of you bozos can't figure the future out, but I can. I'm confident, I'm I'm strong enough to face whatever it is. I don't have to plan, I don't have to predict, I don't study the trends. I'm just gonna plant my feet and throw at me whatever you will, I can take it. I'm successful enough, I've stored up enough money, I've got enough connections in this city. I'm not scared of the future. We all know that that kind of boasting is hollow. None of us knows what's coming next. None of us knows the future. We may think, I got this, I've thrown the caber before. And then one day we we reach the one that's been soaked in water and we find out we are not ready for the future. Do you see how, how strength comes from trusting Christ and making him our boast? I can face whatever lies ahead, not because I'm exceptional, but because Christ is exceptional. He has a kind of wisdom to know what the future holds. I don't need to have it. I can trust him. He has a kind of strength to bend every detail of this universe together in such a way that it will lead to the salvation of his people no matter what. I can trust him. My confidence is in him, not because I belong to an exceptional group or an exceptional church, an exceptional denomination or nation or culture or race or political tribe. I'm confident about this uncertain future because Jesus is the exceptional one. He is the one worthy of all honor. He is my boast. And I don't have to go around pretending to be so wise as to predict the future. I don't have to go around pretending to be the strong one who can handle whatever. I'm not strong. I can't handle whatever comes next. But Jesus is strong. I can follow him one step at a time. You see the strength that comes from that? Can we look at one other example quickly? What if pressure threatens to divide us as a church? What will our boast be? We're loving, intelligent, well-educated people. We should be able to figure out how to get along. We're exceptional. Other churches might have a hard time getting along, but we don't because we've mastered the art of staying shallow enough that we don't get down to the deep stuff that raises all the tension and the conflict. Good for us. That's our boast. We're chill. We're that kind of church. We got this. 
no problem, right? Or we could say, here's our boast. I'm confident that Jesus uses stress to get rid of weak people. So if we ever face pressure and a bunch of weak people leave in town, good riddance. The strong will survive. Jesus is exceptional. <laughs> he doesn't think like that. When Jesus is our boast, we have to come to a place of real honesty and say, you know what? We are so unloving and so foolish and so arrogant that it took the death of the Son of God to purchase our redemption and forgiveness. I was so stained by arrogance toward other people that it took the blood of Christ to wipe that away. How dare I boast in myself? He is my only boast. We can stand firm and stay united no matter what comes against us because Christ is exceptional. He loves to unite all kinds of people around the truth of who he is. He loves to unite all kinds of people around the truth of who he is. The truth of who he is is radically exclusive. There cannot be multiple versions of who Jesus is. There is one Christ, and following him is costly. It has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. But around that very exclusive truth, Jesus wants to build a radically inclusive community. And he won't give up on either one of those. He's not going to compromise the truth of who he is in order to broaden the appeal. And he's not going to let go of his vision of a church that unites all kinds of people from all kinds of backgrounds, from all kinds. Well, how do we know any of this is true? I went on a hiking trip recently with some other pastors to celebrate a birthday for one of them. And um, we came from a wide range of cultural backgrounds and a pretty wide range of, of age uh, as well. And we started discussing, well, after we got past the fun topics, you know, of basketball and UFOs and stuff, we got down to the question of, what do you think is in store for the church over the next 10 years in the United States? And we agreed there are challenges ahead. And we're not sure how the church is going to respond. We don't know. How do we keep telling truth about who Jesus is when doing that is so challenging in our world? And how do we keep building a radically inclusive community around that challenging truth of who Jesus is? How do we do this? The answer lies in something I mentioned before. Philippi was a Roman colony. These are ruins from ancient Philippi. The architecture here is Roman. This is a Roman forum. The city was built on a Roman plan because 
because after a great victory, an emperor set this city aside and said, this will be where Roman soldiers go to retire. So if you're in the boundaries of this city, it's like you were in Rome itself. This city won't be governed like our other colonies and outlying posts. This is a piece of Rome planted in Greece. Now imagine in that context, speaking to retired Roman soldiers, how challenging it would be to talk about Jesus who was crucified. Roman soldiers are the ones who did the crucifying. Roman soldiers are the ones who stood for strength and honor, whereas crucifixion stood for weakness and shame. And here is Paul saying, we're going to keep talking about this crucified Christ even though it's going to make it really hard for your culture to hear that truth. Because so many people in your city, it will sound like a foreign language. You see the challenge of speaking truth about Jesus? It's not just new in the 21st century. It was right here in the first century. And now imagine the challenge of welcoming Roman soldiers into the Christian community. These were the people, the kind of people who crucified our Messiah. And we're supposed to be telling them the good news that they can be forgiven and that they can be brothers just as welcome inside our fellowship as, as Jewish Christians who grew up reading the Bible. And yes, absolutely. Wait a minute. These are the kinds of soldiers that, that, that Paul is currently chained to in a prison. We're going to welcome them into our fellowship? Yes. Would it, would it be easier to change our truth about Jesus and, and not emphasize the fact that he was uh, crucified? Wouldn't that make it easier for Romans to accept? Or, or couldn't, we, couldn't we be a little less inclusive and say everybody but Roman soldiers can be a part of the church? And Jesus stands in back of all of it saying, I delight to give strength to my people. I will give strength to my people to keep, to keep living the truth about me, even if that truth is hard for people in your city to hear. And I will give strength to my people that there will be enough forgiveness, enough grace, enough mercy to go around to build, to build a community that includes people that would be the last ones you would want to worship alongside. But they're the first ones that Jesus wants to forgive and redeem and call his own because he is exceptional that way. The future may be uncertain for you, for me, for the church. Challenges are ahead. Do I know how we will respond? I don't. But I do know this. Jesus is our boast. He is the exceptional one. He is the source of all the strength we need to follow him. As Paul says earlier, for me to live is Christ. He has become my boast to the point that whatever is ahead in life, it comes under the umbrella of Christ and who he is is we need more strength than we have Jesus is all the strength that we need
Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we give thanks to you that you are more gracious than we are. I am certain that if I had lived in Philippi in the first century, I would not have wanted Roman soldiers to be part of my church. They would have felt like the enemy. But you are not like me. And um, it would have been really tempting if I lived in the first century to coach Paul to soften his message and to talk less about a crucified Jesus and more about a Jesus who is about power and strength, not about weakness, not about bearing our shame. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for giving your people a kind of strength that is greater than our own so that we won't fall into these traps. Would you encourage those of us who feel our weakness today? Give us strength, we pray in your name. Amen.